free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC Registered Investment Firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Woolsey. Well, hello and welcome to the Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management. Uh, also a proud uh, sponsors of Wilsey Asset Management, proud sponsors of the uh, investing partners of the San Diego Padres. So, uh, uh, gosh, uh, season's not that far from over. It's mid-August. Where does time go? Is it, how's it mid-August? Anyways, uh, we can talk about uh, investing today and uh, uh, taking your calls, uh, as always. But uh, we always start off with uh, topics, and we got some great topics today. Uh, talking about real estate, investment trusts, and commercial properties. We're going to talk about that. Uh, retail sales came out last week. And again, verifying that we say we don't see us being in a recession. We've got some numbers there to talk about. And everybody's talking about it, so we said, okay, let's talk about the Barbie movie. <laughs> so we'll talk a little bit about the Barbie movie. <laughs> Do you have well, pink on today? <laughs> uh, actually, I mean, I'm doing my uh, breast cancer oh, that's right. charity golf tournament, so I'm wearing pink today. I'm part of the Barbie is, Summer Club, I guess. Is Barbie showing up for the – you should have done hey, that. That would have been a, a good idea. Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, uh, you know, we're, we're not here to talk about Barbie the whole show. We are here to take your calls as well. You want to join the show phone number is 833-288-0973 again that's 833-288-0973 you got a stock we call them companies equities you're looking at buying selling or holding we'll take a closer look at those fundamentals and, and give you our opinion on where that business stands you, you know jason we, we do talk about they they are equities we don't like call them stock because that's a bad name but equities is so important and, and and it's because it's ownership and and i tell people it's like you get to own some of the greatest companies in the world uh, through our, you know, in, investing. And it's just, you know, I don't know why people, oh, stocks are risky and so forth. Yeah, if you do stupid stuff, they're risky. But if you buy great businesses that you've done the research on, uh, they're not risky. They will be volatile. We talk about the between risk and volatility. But I, I, I just think people miss a great opportunity of investing long term. Oh, and I don't know if that was a rhetorical question, but I do know why people think they're risky. It is the volatility. And and yep. I was just thinking, I mean, gosh, you know, you look at June, July. I mean, it, it was kind of a recovery. And all of a sudden, out, this last week in particular, <laughs> oh August gosh, has been tough, yeah. difficult. Yeah. And that's where people, oh, my gosh, I knew this was going to happen. Now I, it came back, and now I need to get out. Why? It's been a week. It's been 19 days, right. not even 19 trading days of just a difficult time period. Just think back to about a month and a half, two months ago when, oh, my gosh, things are falling apart, and then all of a sudden things go up quickly. And it's great when you have, oh, another up day. It feels so good, right. blah, blah, blah. But you can't wrap yourself up in the good times and the bad times as well because I will tell you, then I think the good times make the bad times even worse because you come too complacent yeah. and you expect them to occur. You just need to look at the business, and we always tell people, look at where you'll be December 31st of that year. Regardless if you're in February, January, yep. or in August, look at where you'll be at the end of the year. In between, it's just craziness, and people, they kill themselves when it comes to investing. And also, too, and then we'll move on to our topics, uh, but also, too, people don't realize they, they kind of, oh, well, you know, I've been doing this for a year and a half, and nothing's really happening. I'm, I'm still down. Well, they forget what happened last year. We had unprecedented inflation since, what, the 70s, 
interest rates rising like I don't believe they've ever risen that fast before. S&P down 19%, NASDAQ down 33%. Yeah, it was a bad year. And we, that's why I tell people, look at your portfolio year from year over a seven-year period. And we always tell people when you come in, you're going to have a couple of losing years. Yeah. But when you're just coming out of that losing year and you've maybe been investing for two years, your overall return is not going to look very good. But this is why people don't do well because, then they, oh, I'm not doing very good on investing. I'm going to get out. And then they miss the next one or two years with it extremely well. Oh, yep, should have stayed. <laughs> yep, know, so. yep. It, it's just, it, it's too short-sighted. And, yep. and yes, the last year and a half, even the last two years has been difficult investing. Right. You know, it, but it, it just, I'm going to say it doesn't matter. Right. And, oh, but I'm 60. Are you going to die next year? I mean, I, you can always say maybe, I maybe. guess. Right. But also maybe you live another 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> I remember one guy I was talking to, and, and uh, it, you know, I said that. I said, yeah. And I think he was like 70. I go, yeah. I said, you know, you could easily live another 10, 15 years. What? 10, I better live 25 to 30 more <laughs> yeah. years. I was like, oh, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. <laughs> you, you don't want to be in cash. <laughs> right. so. Just think about where investments were 25 years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and and that's the thing. And, and people do not get that, that you're buying – businesses and businesses if you're buying a, a good company that's why we we do this here with the debt we don't want too much debt we want cash flow all these things to build that business but will the price of band-aids be the same price 10 15 years from now no of course not and if you own that business that produces band-aids you're gonna make more profits because of the fact that they cost more and you get your if you get a 10 percent profit of i don't know band-aids cost five dollars uh that's 50 cents and 10 years from now, they're 750. Well, well, it went up to 75 cents. And the value of that company is worth more because it produces more. Very simple concept. Yeah. I mean, one last statement. I know we want to move on here, yeah. but I was going to say our philosophy is everybody's a long term investor. Yeah. And the reason for that is, is even if, let's say, you pass away, well, equities are a great way to pass on wealth to your. Uh, your kids, whoever right. your in inheritance is going to go to, or even you leave it to charity. I mean, yeah, charities want more money too. Right. <laughs> you know, so the thing is, everybody can be a long-term investor. You just have to understand how to structure your liquidity needs right. to make sure you can be a long-term investor, and you don't have to worry about stock market volatility because it will always occur. Right, and and actually, I got a segment tomorrow morning on um, uh, KOSide eight forty. I'll be talking about simple financial planning, but I also recorded one for Monday. I think it comes on like 9.55 on Monday about what it's like when they come in for a consultation with us. I mean, what we talk about. And I always tell people that, yes, you get to meet with Chase and myself. It's not some young broker. I mean, our account minimum is $100,000, but you get to meet with us. And we educate people uh, on what investing is, what we do, and so forth. And, you know, and I tell people at the end, there's no locking the doors. We're going to sell you anything. I, I asked a simple question. Does it make sense to you? Uh, yes, it does. Well, do you want to do the paperwork now or do you want to think about it? And that's 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 our sales tactic. <laughs> a lot of pressure there, I know, but but it's just... Watch out. Yeah. I don't think I've ever had anybody, and I've been saying that now for probably 30 years, say, no, it doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> Can you remember anybody's... I don't think so. Well, the, sometimes it's like, yeah, but it's because you go over so many numbers right. where it's like... Well, the overall concept, concept. makes, set, and, makes and, sense. And, and so right. the only thing people will say is obviously we don't have a 100% close rate, but sometimes right. people will say, yeah, I want to take it home and think about yeah, it. Yeah, which is okay, fun. That's cool. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is it is complicated, and we do go over some things. But they, that no one's ever said, no, it doesn't make sense to me. 
I may not understand it. And yeah. we do give that that formula on, on why we have a concentrated portfolio. I think that formula is probably about three inches long on what it is. But that like, oh, that always gets a kind of a shock there. But um, anyways, uh, but gosh, we got way off track there. Yeah, I can't, you just kept going. I know, <laughs> I kept going on. And I said the last thing and it wasn't. So so let's talk about the Real Estate Investment Trust because months ago at uh, my investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management. Oh, and by the way, you should tell people if they do want to come for free consultation, give us a call at the office, 858-546-4306 or go to our website, smartinvesting Two Thousand. Dot com Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com. We always get that out at the end of the show. But know that some people only can listen for 15, 20 minutes. So, yeah, on a consultation, come see us. All righty. Uh, so where was I? Uh, we'll say we made a decision to go into real estate investment trust to begin buying Class A commercial property that was on sale. Uh, well, I was happy to read recently that the big Wall Street firms are now raising billions of dollars, and actually billions of dollars, to invest in commercial property that is on sale. Now, if you're considering doing this as well, be sure to understand where the properties are located and verify that they are Class A buildings. And, and we're talking about office real estate here, actually, in particular. But you also want to make sure you're not overpaying based on the fundamentals of the Real Estate Investment Trust. And you should understand the debt level and when that debt is coming due. Now, investors should be able to get a yield of around 5% or higher. Plus, I believe there could be some great appreciation going forward. Now, keep in mind your investment time horizon for this should be somewhere, again, between 12 and 24 months. Could it go lower in the next six months? Yeah, yeah potentially. But do not expect that turnaround to happen just tomorrow, next week, next month. It's going to take some time. And the reason for that is the interest rates are they're all over the place. There might be some concerns. Oh, my gosh, the debt. And, oh, there's still issues in the banking system. And it's just there's going to be all this noise over the next couple of months. When we look out again 12, 24 months down the road, I think the interest rate picture is going to be at the least stabilized. Right. And the thing, too, with the right, you know, REITs that you buy into you are getting a, a very nice yield while you're waiting. And it doesn't mean you'll buy it and it's going to go right up. You could buy it go down 10 15%, but do not look at this short term. Uh, look at this longer term. But it was just a, a, a conviction that we were ahead of the curve with Wall Street, and when that billions of dollars comes in, they're going to start buying, which is going to bring prices up. Well, and the reason it's so important, one of the big concerns about the real estate industry for commercial properties has been liquidity. Yeah. And oh, they have this large debt burden coming due. And and the ones that we're buying don't have the debt burden coming due this year or next year necessarily. But that's the concern for the overall industry. Well, there's other sources of capital where again Wall Street's getting ready. They got the billions of dollars saying, oh no, we don't need them to refinance through a traditional, you know, regional bank, let's say. We have capital that we can invest right. into right. The, the system because guess what? Those commercial buildings, people are still going in the office. People are still utilizing them. Actually, I'll give a little secret away here. The commercial building that we own or the commercial Not buildings, buildings right. that we own through the Real Estate Investment Trust. I don't want people to think we actually buy the, the individual right. yeah. buildings. I was going to clarify yeah. that. <laughs> they actually had their best leasing quarter since 2018. Yep. Now, that includes 2019, which – I don't know if you remember, but things were okay yeah, back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when when I read the, I think it was about a month ago, <clears throat> everything is is going well for them because they've got buildings in the right places, they've got the right tenants, uh, and this is why you mentioned we don't own the commercial building. This is why we like a REIT. Now, one thing we don't get, we don't get the the tax benefits, the depreciation, but we don't have to. And I know people that have been stuck with a commercial building that's not doing very well. 
bad management. Um, that's what the, a, a good REIT like we own in the portfolio. We and I think it's a major buy for us. I think we we did a good portion of, but. Uh, Oh yeah, I mean it, yeah. it's it's over ten million dollars. Ten million, yeah. Which is yeah. I mean we we just it's not our largest position. Yeah, we just uh, another buy, which again we'll tell people about for eighteen million. But yeah. but sell at ten million. We, we, we that's a pretty good conviction that yes, we we think this will do well, and um, it's just something that we like the REITs better because not the tax benefits, but because of diversification. <clears throat> and again, as you said, the REIT we have. They're actually seeing their leasing going up, and and they're increasing rents, and just like it's it was a big positive. Like, wow, what is the other side of the street talking about where things are terrible in commercial real estate? It's the B and C, and not in good locations around the country. Yeah, and I will say that <clears throat> the difficulties is it's not all rosy for these REITs. I mean, the reason they have struggled, and the reason that we got enticed by them is the valuations. Or the reason the valuations got so compressed is obviously interest rates have gone up. Right, and they had loans that are expiring at we'll call it. Three, four percent. They might have to refinance at seven, eight percent. So their interest expense is going to go up on that. So that's going to hurt cash flow. But what's going to happen is they're still increasing their rents. So yeah, maybe they take a hit on cash flow this year, next year. But all of a sudden they start getting back on pace, where now their interest expense is normalized, and now their rents are increasing again. And all of a sudden their cash flow starts to go again. And, and this is where it comes down to understanding the long-term game. And you don't know where the bottom's going to be. All of no. a sudden, it's it could be like, oh, yeah, the, the FFO, what we look at, or the cash flow did go down. But, hey, going forward, this is great. And all of a sudden, the REIT goes up, and you're like, oh, wait, but the cash flow went down. How did it go up? Right. Because it's looking forward. And we may be a little early to the party, but, hey, I'd rather be early than completely miss the party. And, and also, too many times, they can do something on that debt going forward where they end up selling a building. Mm-hmm. They don't need to write, refinance as much, and therefore, their payments don't go up. So... It's part of the business, but again, we want to emphasize, I think we've done this enough, but just to be sure, it's a long-term investment. Don't think that just because you bought it, and then a year later, like, oh, you know, I lost 20%. Don't worry about it, because look at the fundamentals of that business. In this case, it's real estate, commercial properties. And going back to this Wall Street situation as well, with the big firms looking at raising capital, is they don't have to buy the full building. Yeah. What they could do is, and I've heard a lot of these REITs talk about it, is if they have debt coming due, and they need to refinance that debt and it just doesn't make sense from a cash flow perspective they could sell off a piece of that building to a wall street firm that has the capital so yeah right. we'll, we'll give you 50 percent of the building just using simple numbers here you get 50 percent of the rents we get 50 percent of the rents but we get the capital to pay off that debt that's a better cash flow perspective for us yep well speaking of uh the economy let's go to retail sales which came in with a good report as sales in july were up 0.7 percent Compared to June, now this easily topped the estimate of 0.4%. And compared to last year, sales were up 3.2%. Now, gas stations weighed heavily on the report due to lower gas prices as sales declined 20.8% compared to last year. If these were excluded from the headline number, retail sales grew at an even more impressive pace of 5.8% compared to last year. Now, some areas of strength included food service and drinking places up 11.9%. Uh, non-store retailers up 10.3%, and health and personal care stores up 8.1%. Now, there were some areas that continue to be negative. That included furniture and home furnishing stores. They were down 6.3%. Building material and garden equipment and supplies dealers, those were down 3.3%. And electronics and appliance stores, down 3.1%. And I'll give you a little secret. I think the last maybe six months, we've included these same three every single month yes, I know. because they're the ones that keep getting hit. Yep. Now, the reason for that is these categories were all beneficiaries from COVID, 
But with the beginning of the pandemic now more than three years ago, I do wonder when some of these items that were purchased then will need to be replaced. These are not items that are 10, 15, 20 years worth of, I'm going to say, durable goods. Now, for example, I do know laptops have an expected life expectancy of around three to five years. So sales there could start to turn around in the coming months especially considering we're now 2023. So there could be that replacement cycle this year, maybe next yeah. year. Uh, a couple of things in the report that kind of stood out to me was, um, you know, gas prices uh, declined 20.8%. That's now reversed around. Uh, gas prices are going up. But that is year over year. So uh, next year or next month, it'll still be probably a decline. But not as big of a decline. Big, and, yeah. and that's what's going to happen. That decline will do that, cli- that decline will decline, uh, which will help the retail sales more. However, on the other side, if it goes too high, it will hurt retail sales because people, I'm not going to put gas in the car, I'm not going to go out. Although I don't know the combination of retail sales online versus going to the stores, and I know it's a combination of the two. Yeah. The other thing that does surprise me here as well, that Home Depot and Lowe's are still holding strong because we said building material and garden equipment, uh, which does include suppliers and dealers, but those are two big things, building and material and garden equipment. They, they sell at Home Depot and Lowe's. Yeah. I would not be surprised he had them have trouble going forward. Well, and I think people have just held the names because they did so well during COVID, and they almost think, oh, it'll come back, it'll come back. And then all of a sudden, again, what could happen is they anticipate a big bump next year, and all of a sudden sales don't grow. And then that could be – you never know when the market is going to turn on these companies. You just know that they're in a difficult time period, and, and the stocks aren't inexpensive. Right. I, I will say – the last time we looked at Lowe's, there were some issues with their balance sheet, but we talked about their financing and so forth. But the multiple on it wasn't egregious. I think it was around 14 times, perhaps. Yeah, it, Home it Depot is the one that has the, I, I think they're closer to 20. 20. Yeah, yeah. We can, maybe somebody will call them about Home Depot. Maybe somebody, whatever the listeners out there, holds it and then, man, should I sell Home Depot? We'll look at the numbers for you. Um, but it's just, uh, and, and the other thing, too, is that there is about $16 trillion of equity out there across the country and people's homes. But we did hit this past week. Uh, the highest mortgage rate, I think it was like 7.07%, the highest in, what, 20 years, I believe it was. Yeah, I mean, it it, it hit pretty good, and, and we know the 10-year was the highest since October of last year, and, I mean, we've talked about this. The longer end of the curve, I don't think is going to come down as much as right. the short end of the curve because the Fed has increased the short end so much that that's the tool they've been utilizing. But guess who's still spending a lot of money? The federal government. Oh, yeah. So they're putting supply of these bonds out there. And if there's not enough demand to buy those bonds at 4%, the interest rate has to go higher, yep. which then pushes the 10-year note up. So, I mean, that's where I just I don't foresee the, the long end of the curve coming down too drastically. And maybe naturally it comes down around that 4% level and stays there. I don't know, 2024, 2025, but I think right now we're in a more consistent level of, of where we'll see long-term rates. And, and Jason, you know, what could happen is that the long rate does keep going up, uh, mortgage rates increase, uh, seconds increase, but if the demand is not there, then the banking and the finance world will say, well, we don't have the demand, we'll have to bring those down because they may do other things that are to try to get that business. And I do know, uh, we spoke to our, our good friend Robert Behick, who does yes. mortgages. He was saying that the spread between the 10-year and mortgages, the 30-year mortgage, was the largest ever been. So, Or there's a huge differential right. there. So you could maybe still have the 10-year note increase a little bit and the mortgages contract a little bit to kind of uh, deplete that spread. Right. But it, it, it's something to kind of understand, I guess. There's 
Unfortunately, I don't see long-term rates falling is, right. is the big thing. But the mortgage rates, maybe they come back down to, I'm just going to say, 6%. Maybe they go into the fives. And right. maybe the 10-year note goes and sticks around 4.5% perhaps. Yeah. I mean, the long-term rates are not going to 2 3%. I don't see that happening. Right. Yeah, Robert Biggett, Biggett, he knows his uh, mortgage rates, doesn't he? He does. He's been doing it for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to everybody's favorite topic. Maybe not. Uh, the Barbie movie. But uh, move over Batman and hello, Barbie. Barbie now has become Warner Brothers Discovery. Known as WBD, WBD, highest grossing domestic film of all time. The movie has now topped $537 million, probably higher now because I think we did this a couple days ago, which comes in above Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight, which generated $536 million in 2008. Barbie does have the benefit of inflation as prices are now higher than 2008. But consider the weak box office post COVID, uh, the feat is still quite impressive. And it, it does show the potential reach and advertising power of the recently combined Warner Brothers Discovery. I mean, from a, a global box office perspective, Barbie has collected over $1.2 billion, which would make it the second highest grossing movie worldwide for WBD, again, Warner Bros. Discovery, after Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. Now, I personally have not seen the movie, but apparently a lot of people have. Yeah, it's, it's kind of been like one of these cult type movies and i guess a lot of women are going to it they're wearing pink and they're having barbie parties and uh it's become a great thing for for warner brothers because it's it's a a big hit for them and i do remember i think it was a year or so ago they canceled was it the batwoman movie yeah Uh, and they said that was just not up to our standard well obviously they were right because this barbie movie has been a big hit for many people and it's kind of confusing because the domestic side of 537 million at first you're saying well wait a minute i i thought that uh you know a billion dollar movie was saying well that's worldwide and they did hit that what was at 1.2 billion i think was uh worldwide which is a billion dollar movie yeah and i, I got a couple of things to go here but sure. i was gonna say first i mean when you think about the dark knight and i'm a huge batman fan i mean right. that that was probably my favorite batman and you know i watched all right. the batmans growing up and i think the dark knight was just it was the greatest Batman series that they came out with. In 2008, the economy was not doing well at all. <laughs> right. And, I mean, that movie was so good to get that amount of people to go see it when the economy was that bad. And, as you said, with inflation now growing so much that no movie has topped it since then, even with you look at movie ticket prices back in 2008 versus today. Right. Yeah. And you know what's funny? And I, I, I just realized when I was reading it, like, yeah, 2008, only a few years ago. It wasn't a few years 15. ago. That was 15 years ago. It's like, my gosh, how fast time flies. But it's just like, uh, yeah, so it's been a, a, a big hit for Warner Brothers Discovery. Uh, I believe they have other big things coming out as well, but they really showed how what they're, they're doing behind the scenes here. Well, and the crazy thing is that when you actually listen to the, the management talk, and, and David Zaslav is the CEO, and I think he's I think he's really in tune with the media space. Yeah. I think he's really in tune with the streaming space. Uh, I think he's got a, a great plan for Warner Brothers Discovery. Was he was talking about one of the reasons that he thinks Barbie has been so successful is because of the type of reach that I mentioned with Warner Brothers Discovery. Yeah. They were able to do this whole summer of Barbie. They had these reality TV shows where they would have different types of like competitions revolving around Barbie. They would right. have like cooking shows revolving around Barbie. They would have advertising on all their different channels revolving around Barbie. And it just blew up to this whole summer of Barbie theme yep. that I think just really catapulted the movie to this kind of, 
you know, cult type thing where people are like, no, I got to go see it. It, it. And, oh, my friend saw it. And, yeah, we do a party and then we'll go see it. And I know right. what you're talking about. Taylor and I, my wife went to the the, the movies. And, oh, did you guys go see Barbie? No, we didn't go see it. We went to a different <laughs> movie. But you would I'm just like, see a bunch of women in pink coming and you're like, wow, this is a big thing. Yeah, I, I'm not going to go see the Barbie movie. I uh, just I'm going to see it probably when it comes out. On on uh, streaming, I'll, I'll oh, watch it just streaming. to see what's going on. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not gonna wear pink to the movie theater. I'm just no, <laughs> I'm, yeah. not, I'm not excited. And I, I, I will. I still have not seen Mission Impossible yet. I gotta go see that movie. Yeah, I, I, I want to see that it? one too. Yeah, yeah, and that's uh, from Paramount, I believe. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. I, I was gonna say the last thing I had on the Barbie movie. Uh, I was reading the other day that that Margot Robbie, she took a pretty good deal on it. She just was that is that the Barbie? Yeah, she's Margot Barbie. Okay. Um, she uh, made over has made. Over fifty million dollars off the Barbie movie so far. Wow! Yeah, that's a great deal she cut. Yeah, she yeah. she she really did, and uh, I believe from what I saw, it's the second highest female um, gross off a movie. But the top is Sandra Bullock from Gravity. She pulled in seventy million dollars from Gravity. Gravity. I, I I don't even remember that movie. I, I remember they were in space, but I think the movie was too long. I didn't watch it. I, yeah. it, it didn't keep my attention, but. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, good for Margot Robbie. It's a, it's a good uh, good pull for her. Now, is she still getting paid because of the strike on the actors and the writers? And that's now over 100 days. I mean, th- this has to be coming to an end pretty soon because it is going to start hurting. Well, I, I think she is because the box office keeps bringing in money. So oh. I think it, it had to do with her deal because when I was reading it, the structure was it, it could keep growing. If the, the movie keeps doing well in terms of the sale, she'll, she'll keep making more money. I guess it makes sense because she made the deal prior to the strike, so you would not stop getting paid on kind of like royalties, I guess. Um, it would be new deals going forward, which, um, yeah, it's just kind of uh, uh, disappointing, the strikes. And we got to, well, we won't go too far into it, but so we got to, uh, the um, uh, automobile makers with strikes coming up on mid-September. So this seems to be the year of uh, the union strikes. So. Yeah, I mean, I could go on and on about that. We talked about it in the office yesterday, but it, yeah. it's it's something that it, it could be quite damaging, not just to the workers, but the overall economy. And I, I said, it's going to be a tough one for Joe Biden yeah, because he's got this thing about wanting to do EVs, but being a big pro-union president, but also, too, if they strike for too long. And what's historically happened is they strike at the place they're doing the negotiations. But this guy, Sean Fain, the president, is talking about striking at all three of the auto um, manufacturers, Stellantis, Ford, and GM, where you're talking about a huge hit to the overall economy. And you go on for the last one, 2019, lasted 40 days, but now you're at three different auto uh, manufacturers. That's 150,000 workers. That's a big hit to the economy. And the other big thing you got to consider is last time this happened in 2019, I believe, and this is off the top of my head, the inventory for vehicles on lots was about 86, 87 days worth. Now we're around 50 days worth. Right. There's not a lot of inventory out there, which guess what that does? Pushes up prices, prices on the lots. Yeah. So yeah. now you're having inflation. Now you're having people not working. You get $500 a week, I guess, if you're on strike. That's not enough to really go out and spend money and generate a, a good lifestyle to keep the economy moving. It, it's going to put Joe Biden in a, a very, very difficult situation, right. I believe. And, and, and also, too, I mean, oh, one thing we looked at uh, with that uh, situation is that you don't want to sell these companies because who knows it could turn around and all of a sudden they come up with a deal and you sold out and then you you miss it. I mean, we hold our business long term. It's still great businesses. You hold on that business just because of a short term strike. And short term could be hundred days. Could. But when you when you buy a company, we generally say we hold it for three to five years. Hundred days is a short term. 
and that be a guess. You're guessing that the strike's not going to go well. And I believe you said in 2019 they struck against General Motors, yeah. and it didn't do very much at all. No, the stock didn't really move that much. I, I will say the, the rhetoric coming out of this UAW, the United Auto Workers, is much, much stronger than it has been in the past. But but ultimately, what you have to look at is this, this guy is talking about essentially labor costs that would right. increase by $80 billion per company over the next four years. Well, That's $20 billion a year. They yeah. don't even make $20 billion in profit. And, and I was going to say, too, I mean, we talked about last week on, on the show and in our newsletter about uh, over the next four or five years, they're getting a 47% gain in, in their income. Uh, and I was going to say, if you want to see that, because we can't go into detail again on it, uh, go to our website because we've got other important factors here as well. And you get the free newsletter, get last week's newsletter. Uh, we also have in the newsletter that uh, went out on Friday, uh, insurance rates. We talked about that. Uh, China's economy, sports gambling. We, we, we talked about that. Uh, we also mentioned, too, in addition to the sports gaming, uh, we mentioned, too, about the credit card debt. That's a big one, too, people are getting all, all bent out about, uh, out of shape out of it. It's not as bad as you think it is. We, we talked about that. So if you want to find out more about the strike from last week, you want the information about the credit card debt, why it's not a big deal uh, at this point in time, sports gambling, all this stuff, it's a free newsletter. Uh, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Go right to the middle of the page where you see the newsletter. Sign up there. You can see past uh, past newsletters and also sign up for the ones uh, coming up in the future that goes out every Friday at uh, about 5 o'clock. Absolutely. And I, I did just want to tie back my whole thesis here with the strike, and I'll stop talking about the strike. But sure. just when it comes to looking at the stocks of these companies, as you said, you, you are guessing because what if the strike takes 10 days? What if it doesn't happen? What if it takes 100 yeah. days? And you just don't know when it's going to end. And I was actually talking to a client yesterday, and I said, I don't see this happening. But the time I would sell one of these companies is if they agreed to the deal from the UAW right. and the expenses went way up. And then you look out, and all of a sudden their earnings go way down. Then you'd be forced to sell. Yeah. But these companies are a lot smarter than that. Yeah. <laughs> they know that at some point it's going to be much more costly to expect or incur about $20 billion worth of expenses each year than to say, we'll let this strike go on for 12, 13, 14 weeks, and you guys run out of money, and then do you want to come back to work for us or yeah. not? And it'd be far better for them to wait 14 weeks to have that strike happen than to accept these ridiculous terms that would put all three of these auto manufacturers out of business. And I did hear, which was kind of surprising to me, that uh, I forget it was Ford, GM, Stolant to somebody, that they're going to be training some of the white-collar workers <clears throat> to work on the assembly line. So, and it's probably not as difficult as it used to be because a lot of it's automated. Yeah. So, and here's another thing too that union is not realizing. Okay, well, let's spend more money to automate these factory lines because it's cheaper. Yeah. So we, we've talked about that in grocery stores, everything else. So unions. <clears throat> Be careful. Be careful. Exactly. <clears throat> Alrighty. Uh, phone numbers here: eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. That's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. Let's go to San Diego and speak with Robert. Robert, you're on the Smart Invest Show. Brent Chase, how can we help you? Morning, man. Thanks <clears throat> for having me on. You're welcome. Thanks for being there. All right. Yeah, I have a stock that has uh, uh, been going up and down more than a. The Padre season, pretty much. <laughs> and uh, I wanted you to check it out to see if it was too good to be true. It's um, AAR Corporation. The symbol is AIR. Okay, uh, there it is. Yeah, uh, air. yeah. It just says air. 
uh, and then the symbols AAR. Uh, then the aerospace and defense industry, not much float on this, 2.7%, 97% institutional ho uh, held. Uh, P.E. ratio looking pretty good, 23.7 versus 38.6. Price to sales checks in at 1.1 versus 1.8. Price to book value, 1.9 versus 4.2. Now, price to tangible book value is 2.4. The industry is not material. But something strange here, price of cash flow, 90.1 versus 17. That's not a good number. You'd want to look at what's going on with their cash flow. And that's what all these numbers are. They're kind of things to tell you if they're not right, why is it not right? Why is cash flow 90.1? Check that out. Now, we do see the earnings were up 16.7% over the past year. That's well above the industry at 4.6. Sales declined by 9.4% above the industry at 82 uh, they do not have a five-year estimated growth rate from the analysts. We do see they do not pay a dividend. That's always disappointing. We, we do like dividend-paying companies. Take a look at the balance sheet. Current ratio, very good, 3.1 versus 1.5. Debt to equity, only 0.3 versus 0.6. And then that profit margin, 4.5, about the same as the industry at 4.8. And return on equity, 8.1. That is lower than the industry at 13.4. Uh, I would like to see that higher, more like a Man, about a 15 or so. Chase, what do you got? Well, I was going to say just real quick, uh, just something to consider there, Robert, for the, the cash flow is with companies like this that deals with such big equipment, essentially, is it, it could just be an issue of collecting on those receivables where the earnings and the cash flow might be separated because if they haven't collected on those receivables, which I'll tell you is a good and bad thing because it could tell you that cash flow is coming or it could also tell you that they don't have good practices in place and healthy relationships with their right. customers to collect on those receivables. So just trying to think of something to point you in the right direction and understand the cash flow. But uh, current price here for, again, AIR is the, the symbol. It's kind of funny. AIR is the symbol, but AAR is the, <laughs> right. the company name. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. But uh, current price, $59.67. I see 52-week low, $33.75. And the 52-week high is $63.88. So it is closer to that 52-week high, which... I'm going to say it's a positive. Now, we go out to, let's see here, we go out to May 2025 as they do report on a fiscal basis. We see estimated earnings per share of $4.21. What gives the target sell price is $69.89. So it traded about 14, 14.2 times future earnings there. So it would be in what we call our hold category. I wouldn't be buying it at this level, but the valuation isn't uh, overpriced based off the numbers here. Chase, how many analysts? Uh, Four. Okay, because that was kind of on the low side. I, th I thought I saw that as well. So, yeah, uh, unfortunately here, Robert, I mean, it's it's been up and down quite a bit, but it appears to be up now, so I would not, by this point in time, if it is very volatile, probably the target buy price would probably be somewhere around 50. Yeah, and I, I would say as well, Robert, one thing you got to understand with a business like this, I see they have a market cap about $2 billion, I think is what I saw. So it's not a huge company, but it, it's decent size. I have seen in the past businesses like this where they have too much concentration on, on different end consumers for themselves, yeah. where I'm just going to point out maybe Boeing occupies like 70% of their sales. That is something that does frighten me with businesses like that. So I would want to understand their con concentration on their customers as well. And what do they do as well? I mean, I understand that business. Yeah, I, I saw they, they make different parts and services for, it looked like engines. Um, yeah, aviation services segment engages in lease and sale of new overhauled and repaired engine and air airframe parts and components as well as aircrafts. Offers customized flight hour component inventory and repair, warranty claim management, and outsourcing programs mm -hmm. for engine and airframe parts and components. So it looks like yeah. they 
are really kind of a, a parts manufacturer. Yeah, so Robert, we, we recommend him buying now, but if it does fall down to around 50, you might want to do a little more research on it, understand the business, because it could be a buy at that point in time. Again, I'm disappointed they don't pay a dividend, but um, yeah, already? Well, I own the stock, and I was wondering if I should hang on to it for another uh, two to three years or go ahead and sell it. Well, we would never say two to three years. I mean, what you want to do is watch the numbers on the company. Again, I, the target sell price today is so 60. It's around 69, I believe, 69. is what I said. So, so you're, you know, it's at 59 now, around 69. So uh, we don't see any reason based on the numbers to sell it. But again, if you look deeper like we do into the company, you may find reasons that, you know, the parts they're making could be for an older plane, uh, the, you know, you really want to understand that that business. So, it, you know, the fundamentals are very important, but you do understand the business that does the business make sense going forward or is this going to be a peak for them? So, Especially if, as I said, if the major customers are just one or two, that yeah. could really, really hurt a business if things change rapidly and oh, we, we it's a huge risk. change supplier like, oh, no, we're done with you. We get a better price over here. And that really puts that business... Uh, in the hole. So, uh, yeah, I would say hold it, but make sure you understand it well. All right, Robert? Thank you, man. All right, thank you. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All right, that does open the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. And I bring this up because it, it reminded me of a company by the name of Spirit Aerosystems. They were a supplier, I believe, to Boeing. Mm-hmm. And everything was kind of going well. And I remember them in the news a few years ago. And they were around $100 a share in 2019. And then obviously during COVID, they fell to like 18 But now they're around $21 a share. And they had big issues when Boeing had big issues. Right. And obviously the, the flight situation didn't help with travel getting right. <laughs> condensed. But I think Boeing changed something on their deal with them as well. And that's the risk you take. If one company has 70% of your sales, let's say, it's like, you know, we're going to do that internally from now on. It might save us money. It's like, oh, gosh, we don't have any revenue anymore. Right, right. And, and, and you know, we tell people, we spend 10, 15, 20 hours researching a company. What are they looking at? Well, this is the one thing we look at. Like, well, who are their customers? I mean, and what if they have three customers, you know, and that would account for, we'll just make it easy, a third each. But one of those customers does have financial problems. Well, that could be their financial problems. So you've got to look at that that as well. Well, who, who are they doing business with and will it last or is it concentrated in that? And what area of the country? So many different things to look at when you're researching a company. All right. Again, phone number is 833-288-0973. But uh, right now it's time to talk financial planning. For that, we turn to our financial planner, our CFP, Harrison Johnson. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing? Good morning, guys. I'm doing well. How's it going? Good, good. We're talking about are your I bonds worth keeping? And this is very important because I know they were much higher. The, the big talk, I'm going to say a year or so ago, I believe it was. And now, like, maybe they're not doing as well. What's the story? Yeah, so I bonds became popular at the end of 2021 when they started offering a yield of 7.12%. Um, and at that point, interest rates were still low. Inflation was just ramping up. And there wasn't anywhere you could get a decent yield on anything. High-yield savings accounts weren't paying anything. Uh, T-bills weren't paying anything. So people found out about these I-bonds paying over 7%, and they got a lot of attention. And then that escalated further when the rate increased to 9.62% during the next six-month term. Now, everybody was buying them, getting you know close to 10%. Uh, we talked about them on the show, and the point we were making is, hey, this is a nice little deal, but it should be used as an alternative to cash not an alternative to your investments because this is temporary and those rates will go back down. 
Well, now we're starting to see that. After the 9.62% yield, um, even though inflation has gone up, the I-bond rates decreased to 6.89, and now they're at 4.3%. Ooh, wow. And in the next term, yeah, it's it's been quite a quite a decline. And then in the next term, which starts here in just a couple months, it's expected to in, to decrease to around 3%. So the reason for this is because I-bond rates are based on the change of inflation, not inflation itself. And they were high because inflation went from nothing and then increased pretty quickly. Now I-bond rates are going down because the rate at which inflation has been increasing has slowed. So now we're, we're starting to see that decline in rates. Now with these bonds, it's an annualized yield. You buy one, you only get that rate for six months, and then the rate changes again. When you buy one, you're locked in for a year. After that, you can start to redeem them. But if you do, you forfeit your last three months' worth of interest. Once you've held for five years, you can redeem with no interest penalty. And since these became popular in 2021, most people haven't held them for five years. So that three months interest penalty still applies on redemption. However, I think it's starting to make sense to redeem these things for some people um, because that I-bond interest has gone down. And now there's other places that are yielding a lot higher, like high-yield savings accounts and T-bills, which also don't have that time requirement or annual purchase limit. Again, there's still that three-month interest penalty, um, but at the current rate of 4.3%, three months of interest is only about 1%. And after a redemption, you can take that cash, put it into a T-bill paying five and a quarter to five and a half, which means you would make back your interest penalty in a little over two months. So um, I know there's a lot of people out there that have these things. I would say take a look at them. It might be time to make some changes, but also remember, these I-bonds, T-bill savings accounts, they're a place for cash, not for investments. Yes, uh, short-term money is what we're actually talking here. And, and, and the, the other thing, too, that people want to think about is that um, uh, do they believe inflation is going to go up? If they do, which we don't think it is, we think it's going to stay pretty stable, then they probably stay with those I-bonds. But I, I, I just do not see inflation going back up. And that's what these I-bonds are based on which people may not realize. And the other thing, too, that people yeah. forget is these have been around for many years. Yeah. And it, a lot of people thought during the inflation era, wow, this is a great new thing. And I, I'm gonna, I was never a big fan of them just because I thought it was a lot more hassle just to get a little bit more interest when in the long term the interest rates are going to be better for, I think, your T-bills and, and high-yield savings accounts. Right. Um, well, my screen just went blank, so I, I, I need Frank's help here because I got uh, – <laughs> yeah, so uh, did I hit something? What happened? Um, but anyways, well, well, Harrison, I mean, that's very important for people. And, and these are the things that you do as a uh, financial planner is you actually look at different things and different scenarios for people, which I, I know a lot of financial planners, they're not going to do that. Well, here, let me sell you this annuity. Let's buy some life insurance. Let's put this in this mutual fund thing. Uh, you look at a full financial plan for people. So if somebody comes to you an I bond, uh, and, and again, they might have a substantial amount. You might say, well, here's what you may want to consider. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So again, I, I know this is something that um, it was popular. I think there's some people out there that maybe have kind of forgot about them or let them go by the wayside. So yeah. just, just another little uh, thing to take a look at. Another little tip there for, yeah, for uh, people there. Well, Harrison, thank you very much. Uh, have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday. 
All right. Thanks, Brian. We'll see you Monday. Okay. Bye-bye. Again, that's Harrison Johnson. He is our financial planner. He's a CFP. He does not uh, charge any commissions. He's on a salary. It is a true uh, fee-based financial plan. If you'd like a free consultation with him, give him a call at the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. You can also reach him by the website, smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting 2000 all right. Uh, phone number is 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go to San Marcos and speak with Phil. Phil, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, good morning, guys. How's it going? Good. How you doing? Good. Hey, uh, the company I want you guys to look at is Mosaic, the large fertilizer company. Used to own them a while back, did okay on them. I think I was impatient when I sold, but I've seen them dropping over the last, well, actually year to date, I think they're down 16, 20%. I know they have gobbled up companies in the past and I've been just checking them out and wanted to know what you guys thought. You know, it's funny, uh, on Mosaic, uh, we'll talk about that symbol MOS, but I do remember hearing or reading something this past week that fertilizer companies are having and will continue to have problems. I can't remember what it was, but uh, we'll go with the numbers. But it was not good news. Like, oh, I guess we're not going to be buying fertilizer companies. But um, Well, if they fall enough, maybe. Well, yeah, yeah, if the problem's been. And it's temporary. And it's temporary, yeah. So, uh, but well, let's, let's say it's uh, Mosaic, uh, again, symbol M-O-S, so in the agricultural input industry. Uh, they do have a good P-E ratio, 6.2 versus 9.7. Price of sales, 0.8 versus 1. Price to book value, 1.2 versus 18.6, so that's a big positive. Price of cash flow, 4.4 versus 6.6, so the valuation ratio is looking very good. What is not looking so good in whole industry, earnings were down year over year 27%, industry down 34.2%. Now sales from Mosaic were only up 1.6, but the industry was down 8.6. So the industry appears to be having some problems. Uh, the analysts give them a five-year growth rate of, of a decline of 30.8%, the whole industry a decline of 11.4. So there seems to be something going on in the fertilizing industry that is not positive. You do get a 2% dividend, which is not bad, especially looking at the payout ratio is only 11%, so that's a big positive there. Look at the balance sheet, I got a good balance sheet here. Current ratio 1.2 versus 2.1. Debt to equity only 0.3 versus 0.9, so not much debt on the balance sheet. I'm kind of surprised with that when, when you first mentioned, Phil, about them buying a lot of companies. I thought, oh, here's probably a lot of debt in the balance sheet. Not the case. That's good to see. Net profit margin, 12.9 versus 10.5. And return on equity, 17.5 versus 12. Chase, what you got? Yeah, so current price here for the Mosaic Company and ticker symbol MOS, $39.51. I see the 52-week low here is $31.44 and the high is $62.83. Now, if we go forward for the company, again, we go out to December 2024. I see estimated earnings per share of $3.44. It gives us a nice target sell price of $57.10. But to kind of hinge off what you were saying with their earnings declines, I mean, this year for 2023, they're expecting an earnings decline at 64.5%. And in 2024, they're expecting another about 12% decline from this year. And I think what happened with these fertilizer and potash companies right. is they had a big impact from the Russia-Ukraine situation where there was a huge shortage of potash fertilizer. 
So you have a shortage, you're able to charge more because, well, basically the highest bidder is going to get what is left yeah. of it, yeah. drives up their profit margins. But now it looks like potentially things are kind of coming back online where they're finding more fertilizer, more potash, which is driving down their margins, which, which could be the reason you're seeing such a large decline. Stock keeps falling, though. I mean, I think longer term, it, it could make some sense if we are seeing maybe a, a bottom in, in margins. Yeah, and this is when I like to buy companies when they're on sale. I mean, obviously, the low is 31. The stock's at 39. The high is 63. Uh, I'd want to understand more about the business, but I, I kind of like seeing uh, that price around uh, $39 a share. And the valuation ratio looked great. You said the target buy uh, sell price was about uh, what 40 percent away i believe you said it was uh, the target sell price is 57 so it trades around about 11 and a half times earnings yeah. future earnings yeah we, we like to buy between 10 and 12 so uh we like it uh th there phil but i i would say do some more research to, to make sure that uh, everything looks good on the company but uh i think it's worth the re research definitely already yeah, yeah i think the earnings is a good research because i'm just wondering if the decline is something that is a one-time event, like they took advantage of something like COVID or um, super high raw material prices, Chase, like you were saying, yeah. and that's just a, it's going to normalize itself out. And yeah. if it drops too much, when is the right time? Yeah, and, and looking at too, it, it, you might not buy it at the bottom, but as you said, things will normalize at some point. People held on to it when it went way up because of the situation, but we knew when those margins were – that wasn't going to last forever, right. forever either, and things were going to kind of reverse course, which they have now. And at some point, things will normalize, and maybe it's a year, maybe it's two years, but the valuations do look pretty good for this business. All right, Phil. All right. Thanks, you guys. All right. Thank you. Have, have a good, good weekend. One. You too. Bye-bye. All right, that opens up the phone line, 833-288-0973, 833-288-0973. Let's go to La Mesa and speak with Joanne. Joanne, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning. Good morning. Um, just love to hear your thoughts on this. We're, we're looking for a kind of a, something in the energy sector. We're looking at New Fortress, NFE. Just wonder what you think about it. Okay. And it sounds like you you don't own it. You're looking at buying it. Is that correct? Right. Okay. Right. It is. But I'd, I'd like a smaller, either a smaller mid-cap. We've got too many large caps in our group. And, and that may not be a problem. We, we don't subscribe to the small cap, mid-cap, large cap. I really have all large caps that are all good value than having mid caps and small caps that are bad value or even all mid caps are good value. So, so look at what you're paying for a company. Don't base it so much on the size of the capitalization of the company, but just uh, some food for thought there. So let's take a look at uh, uh, New Fortress Energy, symbol NFE in the utilities regulated gas industry. Uh, wow, 10.6% uh, short on that. That's on the high side. Somebody's thinking this stock is gonna fall, so be aware of that. Only 54% uh, institutional owned. P.E. ratio looks okay, 15.2 versus 16.9. Price to sales, 2.5 versus 2.1. Price to book value is 4.2 versus 1.7. And then price to cash flow, 8.8 versus 7.5. You do have a very nice peg ratio, almost too nice. It's 0.1 versus 56. So the valuation ratio is not, not that great now. Uh, we do see something strange here. Earnings per share over the last year are up 83.5%. You have to ask yourself a question. Did they sell some assets? Did they have a really terrible earnings the previous 12 months? Why is that so high, especially when the industry is down 
1.7. So be aware that there could be some false earnings in there that uh, you may not uh, appreciate. Sales, 18.4% uh, last year. That is above the initiate 13, I'm sorry, 8.9. Uh, the five-year growth estimate, another strange number, 132.1%. That's a big growth number. Uh, the industry is at 4.9. You only get a 1.4% dividend yield, and they use 179% of their earnings to pay that out. That just is not sustainable. Look at the balance sheet. Current ratio, 0.4 versus 1.1. That could be a problem. Maybe that's why the short's on there, because they don't have a lot of liquidity. If they get hit with a big bill, they could be forced into bankruptcy, which could be a problem. Debt to equity, very high, 4.2 versus 1. Net profit margin, 16.4 versus 6.4. Return equity, very good, 28.1 versus 14.3. So, so far, Chase, I'm not feeling really great about this company. What do you got that can change my mind? I mean, I have good news on the valuations. I guess I'll good. start there. But the current price here, $28.83. We see the 52-week low is $25.06, and the 52-week high is $63.06. So well, well off that 52-week high there. But I go out to December 2024. I do see estimated earnings per share is $6.73. It gives us a very, very nice target sale price of $111.72. Trades at about 4.3, 4.4 times future earnings, it looks like. So the valuations are very strong. But I will tell you, Joanne, that the issue I have is just that balance sheet. I mean, that is why I think the yeah. shorts are coming in like crazy. You have 410% debt to equity. Can they weather the cash flow to get through this period? And it could be a candidate candidate for bankruptcy. And, and don't forget about the low current ratio. Those two yeah. combined are, not, are very worrisome. Dangerous, I, dangerous I, place to be. I do see over the last uh, three months that the earnings per share estimates are down 16%. So, I mean, this one, I, and we like things on sale because, you know, this does look like, yeah, it, it, it's on sale, but there could be a reason for it. And uh, I, I would not feel comfortable with this. I mean, you can do more research, but I, I, I just don't think it's worth the research. And so like we talked about earlier in the show with the, the real estate companies having to refinance debt. This company with this much debt, if they have debt coming due within the next 12 months, next six months, whenever that debt's coming due, they may have decent interest rates on that debt. All of a sudden, their interest expense could spike drastically, right. which would be a big problem. And again, that might be where, why the shorts are there. I, I personally would not go near a company with a balance sheet yeah. this ugly. And, and, and Joanne, hopefully it doesn't happen that this file, company files bankruptcy, but it, it's just very worrisome that things get much worse. Uh, they could go that direction. So I, I would say... Keep keep uh, keep looking for something else in the. I think you're looking for the energy side. Uh, I don't think this is the one, and it could turn around to fabulous if they get through the situation. But I just don't think it's worth a risk. Already. Thank you so much for your thoughts. Have a great weekend. You too. Thank you. Bye bye. Already, that does open the phone line eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. That's eight three three. Two eight eight zero nine seven three. Chase, I'm going to do this uh, email here because uh, I want to get this in today. It uh, comes from, uh, let's see, it says, uh, Hi, Chase and Brent. Normally, I would never ask you guys to go over a defeated company or a defeated growth stock like PayPal, which has gotten beaten down worse than the Padres by the Dodgers this year. Two Padres references. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, well, we're one of the sponsors. Uh, investing sponsors. <laughs> but uh, but it's uh, so badly beaten up, I wonder if there is value. Ford PE uh, 10, low peg, debt to equity pretty low. The new CEO could either help or hurt. Anyways, as always, thanks. I love the show, Zach. So, uh, you, you know, this could be uh, something worthwhile. Did they give me the symbol here on PayPal? P-Y-P-L. P-P-Y-P-L. P -P -Y -P 
PL. Okay, there it is. And, and I would love to buy a company like this because I know things are going that direction. But it has to be. And we have bought growth companies in the past that fell into the uh, to the value category. Well, so, just because you're a growth company doesn't mean you're a growth company forever. You can go from growth yeah. to value. Yeah. So let's take a look at the, the numbers here before we run out of time here. Uh, PayPal Holdings uh, is a symbol PYPL. Uh, float on the short, only 1.7, 76% institutional held. Wow, P.E. ratio 16.6 versus 21.2. Price of sales 2.4 versus 4.1. Price of book value 3.3 versus 4. And price to cash flow 15.7 versus 12.9. And even the pay ratio 0.7 versus 3.7. So valuation is looking pretty good. On the growth side, wow, earnings are up 105%, well above the industry at 3.9. Sales climbed by 8.2% over the last year, not quite as good as the industry growth at 14. Five-year estimated growth from the analysts uh, for PayPal, 17.4, above the industry at 14.4. They do not pay a dividend. Look at the balance sheet. Current ratio, 1.3, same as the industry. Debt to equity, very good, 0.5 versus 1.6, and the net profit margin, 14.3. Not bad, but not as good as the industry at 19.7. And then lastly, return on equity, 20.7. Very good, but the industry is at 45.8. So I'm, I'm liking what I'm seeing here. What do you got, Jays? I'm just stunned here. Uh, current price for PayPal Holdings, $59.42. I, I say I'm stunned because over the last year, the stock is down about 40%. But I, I say I'm stunned because I, I go back to 2021, the stock was over $300. Ooh. Dollars and what share. is it now? 59. 59. Wow. I mean, this thing is just as Zach said, been beaten down. I don't know if I want to use his reference because I still like the Padres, but <laughs> yeah. but hey, maybe I like PayPal too. Yeah. <laughs> but going out to December 2024, I mean, I see estimated earnings per share of $5.66. That does give us a target sell price at $93.96. It has a forward PE of about 10 and a half times. I, need, I think we need to go back to the office and start buying this company. Well, I, and, and the thing that shocks me here too is you look at the estimated earnings per share growth, 2023, estimated earnings are looking at about 19.8% growth. 2024, you're looking at 14% growth on those earnings. So I, I'm kind of surprised, to be honest. You know, and, and Zach and to our listeners, you know, we, we say facetiously that, yes, let's go back and buy it. But you have to do the research. Why is this going yeah. on? Is it competition coming in? Is there a problem that we're not seeing just based on the numbers that is happening with PayPal? Because to go from 300 to, what, 60, there's something going on. And this has happened where growth companies becomes a value company, and we buy it and do very well. Because you, know, you don't need it to go back to 300. If it goes no. back to 120, that's 100% return. Yeah, I, 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 I'd be happy going to like 80, 85 oh, yeah. in the next couple of years. So um, definitely, Zach, worth the research into that to try to find out what has caused this stock to fall so dramatically. Obviously, at 300, way overpriced. But now you said it trades at what, 12 times, 40? 10 and a half. 10 and a half. That, that we look, that's something we get excited. So. Definitely worth the research to, to look into PayPal because this could be something good. And I'll give everyone a little secret. I just added it to my watch list because I do want to do more research on this company. I'm not saying we're going to buy it for right. our clients, but this is one that I, I it's like ding, ding, ding. This is a huge yeah. potential. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> That's the uh, closing bell. Uh, well, thank you for listening to the Smart Investing Show. It is for information purposes only. It should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs or have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 
546-4306. And be sure to visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. A lot of great information there along with the newsletter. Make sure you sign up for the newsletter. Very helpful for you. Thanks for listening uh, to the Smart Investing Show. We'll be back next week. Uh, you have a great, uh, great week, and we'll talk then. To think that I did all that.